Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. Today's Thursday, May 13th. Stocks are up, Elon Musk drove the price of Bitcoin down, and we're focused on Amazon after Jeff Bezos. Earlier this week, veteran tech journalist Brad Stone released his second book on Amazon, following up on his 2013 bestseller called The Everything Store. Stone's timing was fortuitous because it came less than two months before Bezos is set to step down as CEO of the company he's led since its founding 27 years ago. And then the next day, the Bezos-owned Washington Post named its next executive editor. And then this morning, Amazon announced that it plans to hire 75,000 more warehouse workers and delivery drivers in the U.S. and Canada. In short, this is a time of transition for one of America's most ubiquitous companies and for its founder. And no one's quite sure what comes out on the other side. Now, Amazon has its future executive team in place, with Bezos sliding into a new executive chairman role. But Stone argues in his book that Bezos is a lot more than just a savvy and often ruthless executive. He's a brilliant inventor, the man behind those kind of light bulb moments that have, in a lot of ways, impacted all of our lives. So there are big questions as Bezos plans to abdicate his throne. Does Amazon stagnate? What about those expansion plans, those hiring plans? Does Bezos turn more attention to his spaceship startup, Blue Origin, to help it catch up and maybe even surpass SpaceX? And what role, if any, does Bezos' messy personal life play in all of this? We'll dig into those questions and more with Brad Stone, whose new book is titled Amazon Unbound. But first, this. We're joined now by Brad Stone, author of the new book Amazon Unbound and senior executive editor for tech at Bloomberg. So, Brad, let's just start here. This is your second book on Amazon. The first one came out about eight years ago. Why write another one? Well, Dan, I guess maybe because I'm a glutton for punishment. (laughs) Here's the answer. The Everything Store was really about the first 15 years of Amazon history. Over the years, I just kind of came to realize that it was outdated. You know, the $100 billion company was the $1.6 trillion company. 100,000 employees, maybe, and now over a million. And Bezos, of course, now the wealthiest person in the world and the subject of so much controversy and tabloid attention. There was just more story to tell. I thought it was one of the greatest business stories of our time, how Amazon had really come to dominate our world. In that research you did for the new book, what is the most surprising thing you learned? There's a lot. I identified the voice behind Alexa. I, I identified the, the finalists for HQ2 before Bezos and the S-team decided they would go to New York in that fateful decision and DC. Um, but probably the most surprising thing was how the evolution of Jeff, uh, with his eyes opening to a larger world, his ownership of the post, his inter- his personal interest in helicopters, how all of these things started to really impact and really were underneath a lot of the kind of scandal and attention of of Amazon's recent years. For example, you know, when Amazon asked for those helipads in New York City, it created a huge backlash. I mean, the fact that he was dating Lauren Sanchez at the time and had personally bought a helicopter, that was one of the reasons why uh, Queens blew up. Um, the fact that Amazon, you know, was exploring a second class of stock before Bezos announced his divorce. Most people think because he was figuring out how to maintain ownership control. So what was surprising was that for a person in a company that, as you know, Dan, are so kind of disciplined, the fact that his personal life, his evolution, his transformation into this kind of master of the universe was impacting the course of the company and the controversy around it. That was surprising to me. 
Do you believe that that personal stuff, the divorce and everything that came after it, do you believe that played a role in Bezos's decision to step down as CEO? It might have affected the timing. I think, you know, the fact that he is the wealthiest person in the world, that there are lots of demands for him to start giving away that fortune, the fact that he's got these philanthropic commitments to to focus on, you know, maybe the fact that he's enjoying his life now, he's building this super yacht, you know, perhaps that impacted the timing. The bigger factor was last year, do you remember that House Antitrust Subcommittee hearing where Bezos appears alongside Tim Cook and Sundar and Mark Zuckerberg over Zoom? That is not how Jeff wants to spend his time answering those questions. And look, Andy Jassy will probably be better at it. He's a humbler target. He's not the wealthiest person in the world. So that might have had more to do with the per- than, the, than the personal stuff. This isn't officially a biography of Bezos, but as you say, it kind of quasi is. What kind of leader do you feel he was? How how would you describe him quickly to somebody? You know, everybody kind of can describe their CEO. How do you describe Bezos as a leader at Amazon? It's changed because early on in the Everything Store, you know, I portray him cutting employees off at the knees. And even in Amazon Unbound, I have flashbacks to him tearing up documents and throwing them down the table. But he's he's a little tamer, but he's got incredibly high standards. He's demanding, he wants answers quickly, and he's intimidating. But like these are these have all been key to Amazon's success. But he's look, he's he's a visionary. And you know, it was surprising to me when I researched it, the extent to which ideas like Alexa and the ghost store uh, you know, kind of sprang fully formed from his head. He's an inventor and Amazon's gonna find that very difficult to replace if he really does step aside. Tell me a little bit more about the creation of Alexa, Bezos's role, and then how you found the voice behind it. So 2010, he's thinking of ways to exploit Amazon's advantage in the cloud. And he sends this email, we should build a $20 computer whose brains are in the cloud that can be completely controlled by your voice. And, you know, that was drawing together a couple of kind of technology trends. Um, He micromanages the heck out of Alexa in the early years, which he tends to do. They acquired a a Polish company that was working with an Atlanta studio called GM Voices. And GM Voices did Susan Bennett and her voice for Siri. So I always wondered, who who was the voice of Alexa? Probably maybe the most ubiquitous voice in, in the world right now. And it turned out that GM Voices did her voice too. And I was just kind of canvassing people in that world. And I came up with the name Nina Raleigh. And, uh, you know, and then I called her up and she's sort of like shocked that I call her and says she can't talk. I went to her website and the voice, and you can just tell, okay, this is the voice that I have in my living room. It's the same person. Bezos is the person who creates Amazon. He's run it up until now. And, And you call him kind of this master of innovation. What do you see going forward for Amazon in terms of new products? And, and the obvious comp is Steve Jobs with Apple, which really has developed better versions of its things, but hasn't really come up with a new category since Jobs died. He, he is an inventor. He's also the mastermind behind some of the harsher things in, in the world of Amazon. You know, the relationship with its fulfillment centers. Jeff always feared a kind of entrenched and disgruntled workforce. And so a lot of the union activity and, and the, the stories you hear from the fulfillment centers, I think, have their origin to, you know, to the relationship that he wanted to create with employees. Jeff Bezos says he's not going anywhere, that he'll be executive chairman and continue to work on new projects. So as long as that's true, maybe Amazon can continue to create new things, but there's no telling what could happen in the years ahead. And when you look at that senior leadership team right now at Amazon, there aren't as many pure technologists as there used to be. They're they're mostly operators. And so you do kind of wonder, can Amazon continue to pull that innovation rabbit out of its hat in the way it has over the past few years? 
Brad, Sally Busby got named executive editor of The Washington Post earlier this week, and you told CNN that Bezos was personally involved in interviewing the finalists. How involved at this point is he with the paper? The turnaround of the Post has been a remarkable success story. He's installed his kind of system of invention uh, there, which is, you know, the documents, you know, bring me new things, the way to run meetings. And that's been successful. And he, he turned, uh, you know, an atmosphere of kind of melancholic decline at the Post into, into one of growth. So I don't see him getting more involved at all with the Post. I think what he's been doing so far has been successful. I think maybe Blue Origin, his space company, is is the organization that needs a little bit more of his time and attention. And where in Bezos's mind does that land? You know the old cliche, "I love all my children equally." But but if it comes to Amazon, Blue Origin, and the Post, what's Bezos's uh, level of love ranked? He has said recently it's that he believes it's the most important work that he does. The Blue Origin. The challenge is he that system of invention that was successful at the post that I was talking about has has been almost disastrous at Blue Origin. He set off by by thinking that they could move slow, that the the tortoise you know could prevail, and of course Elon Musk comes around the the literal hair moving quickly and getting the government and commercial companies to basically pay SpaceX to operate and to, and to create you know orbital missions. And Jeff has been funding Blue Origin with a billion dollars at least of Amazon stock every year. It's created this imbalance. Blue Origin doesn't have much to show for it. He says it's the most important work that he does, but the return on investment, so far at least, has been quite low. Brad, final question for you. Uh, What do you hope that a reader's top takeaway is from this book? When I hear Amazon critics and even some lawmakers talk about the company, you know, the arguments that they levy against Amazon often feel simplistic to me. Just because you start a search on Amazon doesn't mean you're locked in. Just because you sell on Amazon doesn't mean there aren't alternatives. There are very good reasons to look at, to scrutinize, and probably to regulate Amazon. But particularly regulators need a more sophisticated understanding of the company. And that's what I hope I've provided. Really a look at how all of these pieces have developed, how they interlink, how Amazon has some really insurmountable advantages, and how it uses some of the tools at its disposal, I think, to have unfair advantages. And those need to be addressed, but you can't do it if you're kind of levying the old, overly broad charges against Amazon, a company that operates in some very big markets and doesn't really have a conventional monopoly in the way people often think about it. The name of the book is Amazon Unbound, which you can buy on Amazon. Brad Stone, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Welcome back. What we're watching today are East Coast gas stations, many of which remain without fuel because of that ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline. Four things to know. First, Colonial Pipeline, which supplies around 45% of the East Coast gas supply, is open again, having made the announcement yesterday afternoon. Two, it could take several more days until all of those shut pumps are operational, because fuel moves slowly through pipelines, and then it still needs to be trucked to the local stations. Three, Bloomberg reports that Colonial Pipeline paid nearly $5 million to the Russia-based hackers, even though it had originally said it wouldn't meet any ransom demands. Four, Expect this whole situation to result in new cybersecurity legislation from Congress and to increase calls that Biden include more cybersecurity funding in his big infrastructure bills, which is something that energy expert Amy Myers Jaffe suggested to us on this past Monday's show. And finally, one quick programming note today. We are certainly continuing to watch the escalating conflict between Israel and Palestine, and some of the best coverage has been on our sister podcast, Axios Today. Please be sure to check it out. And we're done. 
Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Singani, Justin Kaufman, and Alex Sugiara. If you haven't left us a review yet, please do so and be sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast. Have a great national apple pie day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.